As today's New Hampshire primary draws to a close, we'll have some early results and discuss what's next for the candidates. And as President Bush heads off to the Middle East for peace talks, he's dealing with the Navy's serious confrontation with some Iranian ships. Also, we'll discuss the work of Christ. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is Penna Dexter. I want your vote. I need your support. I am your candidate, and I will bring about change. I will clean up the planet. I will make global warming a priority. The McCain campaign has sort of a cheesy slogan. It's Mac is back. Is Mac back? We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the program. We'll have some early results from the New Hampshire primary, a real fight between John McCain and Mitt Romney uh, for the number one spot in the Republican primary. And uh, we do have some early results. The question is, will they hold? What do they mean? Uh, We'll discuss all of this with Dr. Ralph Reed a little bit later in the program. Also, are we coming down from the season of, uh, we are coming down from the season of celebrating Christ's birth. It's hard for me to come down from that. I haven't got taken my Christmas decorations down yet. I hate that job. Uh, But today we're going to talk uh, about the purpose of Christ's life and his work with uh, Criswell College's Dr. Mark Overstreet, uh, interesting discussion. He's been writing on this. But Mitt Romney fighting for number one with John McCain told reporters today at a polling place he will end up with a win in New Hampshire. I'm convinced that it's going to be a close one today, but the Republicans are going to vote for me and independents are going to get behind me and that we're going to end up winning this thing. I think the polls close at 8 o'clock Eastern time, 7 o'clock our time, so we will not have any final numbers for you, but we certainly will have the principles behind this. One thing we do know is that the Democrats began to run out of ballots because there were so many people voting in this Democrat primary. Obama supporter Tanya Brown said at one of the rallies, Obama is the most inspiring leader since Robert Kennedy. Look at him. Look at these people. He inspires people. He talks about hope. It's not just about hope. It's about his inspiration. He's gotten kids up off the couch, stop watching MTV, and volunteering for political campaigns. It's a message of hope, but uh, what is the hope all about? Is the hope to uh, have a revolution in this country? Is the hope to have universal health care, universal preschool, higher taxes, uh, lower income for the rich, the quote-unquote rich in this country, pulling all the troops out of Iraq. What kind of a change are we looking for? What kind of a change would we get in Barack Obama? It seems like the Democrats are disposing of Hillary Clinton. Uh, But now the Republicans are going to have to deal with 
sort of this godlike spiritual aura of Barack Obama. Uh, they've got to be careful what they wish for. In New Hampshire, Barack Obama said this is his generation's moment. You know, there's a moment in the life of every generation, if it's to make its mark on history, where that spirit of hopefulness must come through. He's got beautiful rhetoric, but sometimes I wonder what he's really saying and whether this is going to be a storybook ending for Barack Obama or some kind of fairy tale. we got a couple of old hands in politics weighing in on this. One of them is a few months ago, Joe Biden running himself, at least he was then. Will he be proven right when several months ago he spoke of this possibility of Barack Obama becoming president? I mean, you got the first sort of mainstream African-American yeah. who is articulate and bright and, and, and clean and nice-looking guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, that's a storybook, man. Yeah. Well, we can talk about the words articulate and clean, which we did kind of make fun of back then. But the point here is right now, is uh, Joe Biden prophetic? Is this going to be a storybook ending for Barack Obama? Will he get the nomination? Will he get the presidency? Give us a call. Tell us what you think. The number is 800-881-9270. What would that mean? I mean, sometimes the, uh, the Republicans do better on defense They'd have their hands full with uh, some of the liberal positions of Barack Obama. Now, Bill Clinton, also speaking of uh, Barack Obama, sort of a different kind of story, a fairy tale of a different sort. He cited some inconsistencies in Obama's record on the war in Iraq. Uh, Here's his perspective on Barack Obama. It is wrong that Senator Obama got to go through 15 debates trumpeting his superior judgment and how he had been against the war in every year, enumerating the years, and never got asked one time, not once. Well, how could you say that when you said in 2004 you didn't know how you would have voted on the resolution? You said in 2004 there was no difference between you and George Bush on the war, and you took that speech you're now running on off your website in 2004, and there's no difference in your voting record in Hillary's ever since. Give me a break. This whole thing is the biggest fairy tale I've ever seen. Bill Clinton thinking it's a fairy tale. What happened to the charmer Bill Clinton that was supposed to charm the audiences and make uh, up for his wife's serious demeanor? Uh, Basically, he is calling Barack Obama on some minutia of his statements. Is this going to be the Clinton strategy for a comeback? Uh, Is it going to get much more confrontational before it ends? I still ask the question, has Bill Clinton helped or hurt Hillary. And uh, we'd love to hear your insights, your thoughts on just sort of the Democratic side of this debate. I told you yesterday that uh, the independents would probably vote for Barack Obama in the Democrat primary because they had the opportunity to register today as independents rather than Republicans. And I think a lot of folks wanted to weigh in on the Democratic side rather than the Republican side of this thing. And that's why the Democrats actually ran out of ballots and they had to scramble and uh, bring in more. But uh, this thing is about to draw to a close and we will have the results a little bit later. Uh, But ladies and gentlemen, give us a call. Tell us what you think about an Obama 
presidency? Is it looking more likely? And what does it mean to you? 800-881-9270. Well, also in another news story, President Bush is heading to the Middle East tomorrow. And uh, there's an incident that took place. We reported on it yesterday. It took place yesterday. And you got to wonder how this is going to play in his dealings with the leaders that he'll be visiting. The commander of U.S. Naval Forces, Central Command Vice Admiral Kevin Cosgrove told a Pentagon briefing today the story, and this is it, that five small Iranian ships harassed three U.S. Navy ships in the Strait of Hormuz yesterday. These are, in my mind, unnecessarily provocative in international waters incidental to a uh, routine transit of a, uh, of a, of a uh, internationally recognized strait. Of course, there's video and audio recording uh, that these uh, Iranian boats did confront U.S. Navy ships. And, uh, you know, you have to wonder how President Bush is going to deal with this once he gets over to the Middle East. Vice President Cosgrove, Vice Admiral uh, Kevin Cosgrove, said that these Iranian trip, uh, ships could have provoked action from the U.S. Navy ships. They did manage to hold their fire. When they act that way, it raises the possibility of a... Of a, of a miscalculation on their part that, that somebody might take it just too far. Just when Iran was starting to look reasonable and uh, President Bush was going over there and try to talk some sense into some of the other uh, Muslim countries, talk about uh, maybe some sort of a peace process between Israel and the Palestinians, this happens. Vice Admiral Cosgrove again saying that the Iranian vessels acted in a very threatening manner towards the American ships. The ships received a radio call that was uh, threatening in nature to the effect that they were closing our ships and that uh, that uh, the ships might the ships would explode. The U.S. ships would explode. President Bush has got to keep in mind that this is considered a serious incident. We have been attacked by small high-speed boats uh, in the Gulf, in the region, the coal, uh, and in the northern Gulf uh, a few years ago. Uh, We have suffered casualties, and we take this deadly seriously. The ships came within 200 yards of our ships. You need to know uh, that in November, the Iranian government turned over its naval operation in the Persian Gulf to the Revolutionary Guard. These are radicals. They're committed Islamic jihadists. They made some pretty provocative statements. So this is a serious situation. Let's go back to the phones. Uh, Folks are calling in about the New Hampshire primary. Let's go to Debbie in Granbury. Debbie, thanks for calling. Hi, I just wanted to make the comment that I think people need to realize that in Obama's case, he's gotten so much press and media, and unfortunately, many times people vote the media. He's a media darling in New Hampshire. Exactly, and and my fear is people don't look beneath the surface of what they read in the paper. They don't do enough research and edification on their own to find out what this person really stands for and how they need their particular needs to have that person as a president. You know, these words like change and all this rhetoric about being a fresh face uh, has to be sort of parsed and analyzed, and that's the job of the Republicans. They're just starting to do that today as they're beginning to sort of turn their sights from Hillary to Barack Obama, but it's also going to be the uh, job of talk shows like ours, to begin to talk about what some of the policies of these candidates really are and, you know, what is it going to mean to you, the voter? Thanks for calling, Debbie. I appreciate it. I I resonate with your statement. Let's go now to Arlington and talk to Bill. Hi, Bill. Hi, how are you today? Great. How are you? Great. Here's how I feel about Obama. He was on Oprah a while back and talked about his church in Illinois. 
And I believe that you can, you can tell a lot by a man by what he believes. The man goes to a church that on their website has a total dedication to Africa. Nowhere on there does it say anything about a dedication to the United States. And another part of their website is that uh, the most sacred thing they can do is liber liberate Africans. Nowhere in there is it about America. I've got issues with that. I, I think the man goes to a racist church, and I think he's a racist. You know, it's very interesting, though, uh, because I don't think Iowa or New Hampshire is about race. I mean, there are hardly any blacks in New Hampshire, and he's probably going to win, although we don't have the numbers right now. Uh, and same in Iowa. I mean, it, it wasn't because he was the black candidate, but uh, yes, you're right. I think you you may be the one that sent me uh, that website, and uh, the church does have uh, a, definitely a an agenda to advance black issues. Let's go to Tommy in DeSoto. Tommy, thanks for calling. Yeah, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I was listening to your and uh, I was listening to Hillary talk this morning, like she was almost here. My question is: as uh, Was it was it Hillary's comments yesterday where she just basically started crying? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, my question as a conservative Republican, uh, I shouldn't use the word. Uh, I'm more scared of Hillary than I am Obama, but uh, uh, I don't. Why? Know. Tell us why. Republicans beat uh, would be closer to beating Obama or Hillary. Who do you think, if, if you're a Republican, who would you rather have your candidate run against? Uh, less of the two evils, Obama. <laughs> okay. Now, just tell me very quickly why you think uh, Barack Obama's the lesser well, of two evils. Well, I don't like his, uh, he doesn't have any, uh, not very good on his uh, foreign policy, and he's, lukewarm. He just changes his, you know, like Jim Minerdy said. Uh, he basically wants to pull our troops from Iraq. At least that's what he says now, doesn't he? So, uh, I'm really scared of Hillary because, you know. Okay, uh, Tommy, thanks for calling. Uh, we'll continue to take your calls as uh, we also bring in Ralph Reed into the conversation to get his take on what's going on. Richard and Garland, stay on the line You are next, and ladies and gentlemen, we are sort of uh, looking at the New Hampshire primary. What do we think it's going to end up like, and what does that mean for the candidates and for the presidential race and for you? Stay with us. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. 
Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. Some of us are right and some of us are wrong. Some of us are ready and some of us are not. Some of us know what we will do on day one and some of us haven't really thought that through enough. That was Hillary Clinton yesterday. This was the famous speech in which uh, she was moved to tears, and uh, I think she's really worried about the loss of personal power and really the possibility that uh, her campaign could could be actually in free fall right now. We'll find out a little bit more about that later as the results come in from the New Hampshire primary. But we are taking your calls. Uh, we want to know what you think about an Obama, uh, Obama candidacy, an Obama presidency. The number is 800-881-9270. And Richard is in Garland. Hi, Richard. Thanks for calling. I appreciate you taking my call. Just had a couple of comments. Uh, I think a, some of the reason why people are turning away from Hillary towards Obama, even though they don't know anything about him, is his presentation is, uh, you know, well, you said it, he's very articulate, He's uh, he uses great words, and uh, Hillary came across Sunday night on the debate as a very nasty, uh, aggravated, you know, I mean, just almost throwing a temper tantrum at times to get her two cents in, when Obama and Edwards kept their cool, and Edwards came across as a a person that really felt like he was, in, you know, he wanted to present that he was a passionate person and, and what was coming from him was working class and from the heart and all this kind of stuff. Right. And then you turn around the next day and you see Hillary on TV, and I guess her analyst took a look at the debate and determined, well, okay, she needs to come across with a heartfelt presentation. So, you know, I believe that's kind of the way she came across. But I believe that even not knowing anything about Obama that people, you know, on the Democratic side of things, they want somebody that's not so entrenched in Washington. She's, I mean, the Clintons, you got to face it, they've been building a, a kind of a bureaucracy around the Clinton family for 20 years. We know what it's They're like to have them in the White House, and maybe oh, some yeah. people are not and, and I don't sort know of rethinking that. Ready for, I, don't, I don't know if America is ready for the first man. I mean, how are we... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for that statement, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think that America is ready to have Bill Clinton as the first lady. You, you know, know, it's funny. Uh, feminist Gloria Steinem wrote a piece in the New York Times today where she was decrying the fact that we're still a sexist nation. We are going away from being a racist nation, but we're a sexist nation. Of course, she's a Hillary supporter, so that's why she's saying that. She's saying that the reason Hillary's not doing well is because she's a female. But uh, you're saying that possibly we're sexist in the sense that we don't want a, a first man in the White House. That's interesting. Thank you very much for your call. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, one of the things that's going to happen with uh, the Hillary Clinton campaign, if she loses, if she comes in second or, or below 
tonight is there's going to be a shakeup. Uh, you kind of have to wonder what their strategy's been. I think they've been sort of going negative and finding out that's not working. Then going emotional, as she cried yesterday, and finding out that's not working. They're probably going to fire some of their staff, including Mark Penn, their chief strategist, because they've been blaming him. Bill Clinton has already said that he made the wrong call in emphasizing her experience rather than emphasizing her as the candidate of change because change is what Barack Obama is all about and it seems to be working for him. Uh, so is it the message or is it the messenger that is causing Hillary to lose ground? I'll continue to take your calls because we're not, uh, Ralph Reed doesn't tend to be picking up right now. We'll continue to try him. But our number is 800-881-9270. We'd love to continue to hear from you. Another candidate who is sort of, I have a question about how well he's going to do. Mike Huckabee has been sort of saying that he doesn't expect to do well in New Hampshire. Uh, There aren't a lot of Christians there, or not as many as in Iowa. He's been sort of putting his time and energy into Iowa. But still, uh, there are some evangelicals there supporting him and others like his message. He seems to be resonating. He actually took time out of campaigning in New Hampshire to appear on last night's The Late Show with David Letterman. Here he is. So uh, when you're done here, is it right back to New Hampshire? Is that what we're doing? Tonight to New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. Wonderful people. I love New England, and these folks have been great. And, uh, you know, one of the two things, if I win New Hampshire, it's because I did this show. Mm-hmm. If I lose New Hampshire, it's because I did the show. I love Mike Huckabee. He's a lot of fun to listen to. And uh, I think uh, that uh, maybe the the uh, a sense of humor that he has is sort of a contrast with Hillary. Uh, I have a, a notion, though, that if Obama gets the nomination and Huckabee happens to get it by just some miracle, uh, then uh, that's going to be a very, very tight race between the two of them. They both know how to talk to uh, audiences, and the media seems to love both of them. I do think that uh, Huckabee tends to still be a long shot, though. Well, let's go back to the phones, take your calls, get your thoughts on this. Bob is in Terrell. Hi, Bob. Thanks for calling. Thank you, Pam. I just want to make a comment. The fact that if uh, I had the chance to vote the way they do in New Hampshire, I would be voting for Obama for one reason. You vote for Obama to get rid of uh, Hillary. I think a lot of people did that. And then uh, also I want to make a comment with uh, Romney. Romney's getting the attitude is I got money and uh, I got the money to buy the White House and he's becoming like a rich, rich, uh, rich snob and uh, it's getting where I, I can't even stand to look at, look at Romney. Well, you cannot buy the White House and that was proven in Iowa because with all the money he spent there, he came in a distant second. Uh, he could do better. In fact, he could even win in New Hampshire. Uh, the polls were showing he and McCain very close. And he does have an organization to continue on from here. We have to remember that. McCain doesn't have that. He's getting some money now, sort of a comeback kid or comeback Mac or whatever. And uh, Huckabee doesn't really have the money to go much beyond South Carolina, although that could begin to stream in if he does well in the next few states. Let's go back to the phone. Still talking primary and presidential politics to Dallas and talk to Rita. Hi, Rita. Hi, how are you? Great. Um, I wanted to say there was a gentleman that called in and he was talking about Obama's website was all African and, and it's racist. Um, I'm African, but I, I will not vote for Obama. I would vote for uh, Huckabee. But, you know, the most segregated place in America is the churches. Yeah, this church sounds like it's probably segregated. 
Exactly, because you know we are still we're still worshiping. You know, with one on one, we're not we're not um, integrating and everything. And so, you know, I don't think he'll get in office. I agree with the caller before me. They just have him in there to get rid of Hillary. You know, to get her out of the race. But my vote is for Huckabee because he's the only person that I see that has godly principles. And we shouldn't look at, you know, race or whatever. Like, I'm an African-American, but I'm going to vote for Huckabee because I think he's a better candidate. And soon as America, the Bible tells us if my people who are called by my name will turn from their wicked ways and pray, then I will heal the land. And so all of us that are professing to be Christians, a lot of us are sleep. And so this is how all these different mixtures and different denominations and different religions has eased their way in into our political, uh, you know, arena because uh, the Christians weren't praying, and we're still not praying. We're asleep, and that's how they attacked the towers. You know, I'm I'm praying because that's about all I can do as I watch this unfold, Rita. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for your call. I appreciate it for quoting the scripture and uh, for admonishing us to pray. Uh, I think this is a real time for Christians to uh, to pray and also to act. And I don't think we're going to be able to stop acting after this is over, because whoever ends up in the White House, there's going to be a lot of work for conservatives and Christians to do. If Barack Obama's there, there's going to have to be some opposition to some of his policies, big time. If uh, any of the Republican uh, candidates end up in the White House, none of them is perfect. There's so much wrong with each candidate. None of the candidates holds to all three of the pegs of the Reagan stool, economic conservatism, national security conservatism, and social conservatism. They have all got something missing. And so whoever it is that ends up there, if Republicans end up in the White House, those who are true Christian conservatives are going to have their work cut out for them, and we better remember that and not just sit back and expect the president to do it. Let's go to uh, Waxahachie and talk to Kevin. Kevin, thank you for calling. Yes, um, just going to talk about uh, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. There's been a lot of people talking about how they would vote Obama to get rid of Hillary. Well, I backfire. I've been kind of watching uh, Hillary's campaign with Obama's. Hillary's has gone down, and Obama's has gone up. And if you noticed... Before Obama's campaign uh, started shooting to the stars, uh, the, the media and the, the Democratic Party, they were all defending Hillary Clinton. Well, they, uh, they stopped defending her all of a sudden, and now they're defending Barack Obama like they never have before. It's amazing. Many senators who have been uncommitted, some Democrat senators, I don't have their names. I'm just seeing this in the news. Senators are all of a sudden starting to contact the Obama campaign and say, you know, we're going to go with you. (laughs) They've been waiting. And then there's uh, some of the movie stars out there who had never committed, who are beginning to now Mm -hmm. move toward Obama. Some of them are giving to both candidates. But he's starting to draw some of these liberals to him. And people are just kind of waiting to see, just like, you know, I think everybody is. They want an electable candidate. They didn't. Right. They weren't sure if he was electable, but they're starting to think he is. Don't you agree? I, I agree. And also, not only the electability of Barack Obama, but the unelectability of Hillary Clinton. You know, uh, Bill Clinton's uh, the mistake of Bill Clinton was campaigning with her. Uh, his eight years did not exactly have the greatest um, uh, reputation, and so the negativity that goes with his shadow and the negativity of her campaign and all these things have uh, come down. And I believe that the leadership of the Democratic Party and, and the move on board liberals and, and all the underground uh, 
liberal movement in this country has, I, mean, I think they're done with Hillary. I think they've gotten to Hillary to work to the point where they need to be, and now they are deserting her and they are moving towards Obama because I believe that in the campaign stage, in the early campaign stage, they needed Hillary Clinton to get attention, but it came down to uh, Barack Obama is the most electable, uh, the most liberal, and definitely um, he's not the most experienced, but I think he knows more of what the Democratic Party and mm. the, uh, the grassroots liberals are looking for. Gerald, thanks for your call. Thanks for your analysis. So we didn't get Ralph Reed, but we got a lot of you, and it was a lot of fun to talk to you about this. Well, this is what our next guest writes. He says, as priest, Jesus goes in to make atonement for sin, but not without suffering. Unlike the prophets of old, Jesus goes in and offers himself. Uh, We're going to talk about that with Mark Overstreet right after this. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now, here's Penna Dexter. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for joining me today. I am Penna Dexter, sitting in for Dr. Jerry Johnson, and I am sitting in the studio here at Criswell College. And uh, there's a Jan term going on right now, but classes will start for the spring soon. And uh, we wanted to bring to you one of the professors and also a vice president here at the Criswell College, Dr. Mark Overstreet. He's written a great uh, piece for the Southern Baptist Texan, and it sort of talks about Christmas. And we all talk about on the Christmas cards, Christmas carols, that Christ came to earth as a baby, that he became a man. And you wonder sometimes uh, how much we really think about what that means, and that's why Dr. Overstreet wrote this piece and is joining us today. Hi, Mark. Thanks for being with me. Uh, thank you for inviting me on, Penna. It's my pleasure to be here. Okay, for the first big theological question is, why did the Son of God become man? Well, I think that uh, the Bible clearly, as uh, as our source of divine revelation, God, God tells us that he became a man uh, so that he could come and deliver us from sin. Uh, the Bible tells us uh, that he has uh, come to seek and save that which is lost. Uh, God tells us that he becomes a man uh, through the book of Hebrews. Uh, the apostles pick up on the incarnation, that is, Jesus becoming a man, and uh, defines the incarnation in terms of him serving in the same capacity, living, breathing as a human, uh, suffering uh, under the weight of humanity uh, so that he could live and uh, serve as an intercessor between God and man, and God decided he would do that himself uh, in the second person of uh, God, uh, the Son of God. And uh, that's what we celebrate, of course, at Christmas time, and really all uh, year long. We think about this, we read about it, we study it. Uh, one of the things that this does is fulfills promises in the Old Testament and really a covenant that God continued to make with man. Isn't that the case? Uh, well, I think that's right. I think from the earliest days of uh, of our uh, records and uh, from the scriptures, clearly, uh, from the very beginning of the book of Genesis, uh, we have the promises that God, as Creator, is personal. He reveals Himself to us. You see that in the early chapters of Genesis. Uh, immediately following the fall, God uh, comes after. Uh, Adam and Eve, and he comes after them in a way uh, to to determine where are you, where have you been, and uh, in uh, and he intercedes for them on their behalf, and makes uh, for them in in what we call 
uh, the proto-euangelion in, in that early, uh, early revelation of what the gospel will one day be. Uh, we see uh, him crushing uh, the head of the serpent uh, with his heel. And I think uh, that from the earliest chapters of Genesis all the way up through from Adam to Noah to Abraham, culminating ultimately uh, in the, uh, the throne and king kingdom of David, uh, King David of Israel, uh, when God gives his promise to David that uh, there would be someone who would be seated on his throne who would reign forever and ever, and uh, the, the Jews, uh, the Jewish people captured that and, and, and saw that God would provide a Messiah, and this is who Jesus is. Jesus comes and declares himself uh, the one uh, who would take away the sin of Israel. All right, Dr. Mark Overstreet is with me. He's vice president and assistant professor here at the Criswell College in Dallas. He's written a piece uh, in the Southern Baptist Texan. It's the December 24th issue, uh, Jesus, Prophet, Priest, and King. And so Prophet, Priest, and King, but let's take King first because they were looking for a Messiah. They were also looking for a king, weren't they? Well, I think uh, that's right, and uh, you, we were just having a discussion uh, today for, with some of the folks who had uh, seen the piece uh, in the Texan and uh, talking, discussing about the ordering of these, and I, I chose to order them uh, from king to prophet to priest uh, because I see there's a progression there, but from the earliest times, uh, even from uh, the times of the Reformation in the 16th and 17th centuries, theologians and uh pastors and uh, Bible scholars have looked to these three offices, uh, because these uh, are the offices uh, not only that Christ fulfills, but that man uh, was to fulfill in creation. Christ uh, becomes the king uh, over creation uh, as he fulfills uh, that seed of David, the root of Jesse that we see through Scripture. Uh, But even before uh, he is declared king um, from beginning with the incarnation, and ultimately uh, we'll see that fulfilled uh, in the end of times. Uh, we see Jesus uh, in the very beginning. John, at the very beginning of uh, his gospel, declares that Jesus uh, wasn't uh, just, he didn't just happen, he didn't just circumstantially, he wasn't created. Jesus existed before the world was. And as such, Penna, he was the king. He was the creator. He was there in the beginning. And uh, so uh, he, he was not only declared that, but he declared himself that uh, from the Old Testament into the New. Okay, I've got to take something out of this section of your piece and relate it to current events and what we've been talking about today, because you say... He is the source and sustainer of all things. Jesus is the sovereign over every electron and every election. He is Lord, and there is no other. So can you just talk about how he is sovereign over the affairs of men? I mean, this is, to me, it's something difficult to get your arms around and your heart around. Yeah, I think so. Um, I I think there are a couple of things um, that from the scriptures we can rest when when we read uh, in the Psalms, when we read the book of Daniel, when we read uh, the promises that God gives through the mouth of Isaiah, uh, when we when we listen to the words of Jesus in His Gospels, 
when he uh, declares power over lame limbs and blind eyes and deaf ears, and he says, I am Lord, I am King, and you will do what I say. Uh, he, as the sovereign over all of his creation, um, the, the first thing that that does for us as believers is it affirms something uh, that is within our consciences. In As Christians, it declares and it confirms what we have seen in Scripture. But as humans, uh, every person, every man, woman, uh, every boy, every girl who has ever walked the face of the earth, Paul promises in the book of Romans, they know this, and they know it because God has revealed it to them in creation. And so this this confirms something that is in our consciences, that he is in total control of everything. Now, in our weakness, Penna, we do things. Uh, we act from the earliest acts of humanity. We have sinned against God. We have turned away from him. But God has, through the person of Christ, uh, provided Jesus uh, as uh, the second Adam. Paul uh, sees this when he's writing to the Corinthians, and that's a, that's a promise that Jesus comes to set the road straight again. And so I think uh, my statement about him being sovereign over every electron and election, um, that if we believe he holds the stars in the sky, if we believe that he is in control of the path of the Earth and the Moon and Pluto and uh, Alpha Centauri or the Sun, if, he, if he's in control of the angle, the tilt of our axis, then I think he can probably handle the 2008 elections. Mm-hmm. I think he can probably handle uh, all of the things that we're able to throw at him, like we've done in all of history. Uh, he is able to sovereignly work all of that out, the Bible says, for his ends, for his purposes, and that's always for his glory and for our good. Well, it doesn't take the pressure off, but it sort of kind of makes us as believers in the position of being involved, but also sort of sitting there watching what God is going to do. It's kind of exciting. But let's go back to uh, your piece, because we've talked about Christ as King, and I hope that I can hold you over the next segment. But talk a little bit about uh, Christ as his, in his special role as prophet. Okay. Well, Jesus' role as prophet is, uh, is something that, that he fulfills. Uh, you know, Moses predicts the coming of a great prophet, uh, one that will succeed him, one that will stand beyond him, above him. And uh, Jesus delivers uh, from the very beginnings of uh, his birth uh, with these wise men who come in seeking uh, this king, seeking this one who will bring a message of wisdom. Uh, Jesus' preaching is always prophetic. Uh, It is authoritative. Um, He is uh, not only uh, in his role as prophet capable of telling the future, uh, Penna, he is is the author of the future. He is the one who weaves history for us as our creator. And uh, one of the statements that I pick up on uh, from John's Gospel is that, you know, he preaches the Word of God because he is the Word of God. He is the, in the Greek, there in John 1 and, and verse 1, uh, John uses the word logos. In the beginning was the logos. Uh, he, and that's the Greek word uh, literally for word. 
in the beginning was the Word, and, you know, if you're looking at a translation or a transliteration, they use the capital L there, because that Logos is Jesus himself personally, and so the Word of God becomes a man, and so he prophetically fulfills every promise of the Old Testament, and then lives out in a life and death and burial and resurrection, uh, the Word of God incarnate. We're going to let the professor answer your questions. If you'd like to call in and talk to him about this, the number is 800-881-9270. Dr. Mark Overstreet is with me. We're also going to talk about uh, Christ's work as priest and what he offers to uh, people, people who need to make a decision to follow him. That's next. Stay with us. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. I want to give you a heads up on something that's happening at the Criswell College at the end of the month. It will be the Criswell Theological Lectures, January 29th, 30th, and 31st, from 10 to 11 a.m. each day. Dr. Richard Land, who is president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptists, will be here. And uh, he will talk about what does God have to do with America, past, present, and future. He's also going to be joining us on the program tomorrow to preview that and to talk about uh, what are the results and the meanings of the results of these New Hampshire primaries that took place today. With us right now is Dr. Mark Overstreet. We're talking about Christ, and we're also taking your calls. And, Mark, uh, before we go on to talk about Christ as priest, let's go to Stephen Ranger, Texas. Hi, Steve. Thanks for calling. Hi, and thank you for taking my call. I just wanted to make the comment that uh, one of the reasons why I believe that he came in the flesh is because it comes judgment day. No one can accuse God of, of what it feels like to be human because Christ was human. He knows what it is to be tempted, doesn't he, Mark? He exactly yeah, I think that's a that's a great point you've raised. You know, one of one of the roles that Jesus fulfills uh, in that is not specifically mentioned as prophet, priest, and king, but you know, the, one of the roles as priest, Penna, that that we're going to be talking about in a few minutes, is that he is that intercessor that moves between man and his weakness, and God and his holy righteousness. And uh, Jesus, who has been, as the old King James used to say, affixed with the feelings of our infirmities, he knows 
the weakness of the flesh. He knows the weaknesses, uh, the difficulties, and we have to be very careful here when we read the Gospels and we see Jesus being tempted in every way, the Scripture says, as we were. Uh, Jesus' temptations were real. They were difficult, but Jesus never succumbed, even mentally, even internally, to the weaknesses uh, that we suffer and so often stumble through. And that's the reason we need Jesus Christ. All right, now that is the reason he can be the priest for us, though, right? That's exactly right, because um, from all the way throughout the Old Testament, uh, you have uh, the longing of uh, this nation of Israel. Uh, I was just reading this week uh, with uh, my children uh, the story of how Moses uh, was the leader of that. Uh, if you look uh, literally, the text says that the very strange bunch of people or the very motley crew, if you will, that, l- that came out after the Passover that night uh, from Egypt, um, that God has always been about the business of leading out his people out of captivity, out of bondage, through a priestly office. And from that time of the Exodus uh, through the Old Testament, the priesthood that was established in the Mosaic Law, uh, there has always been this longing for a day where a priest would be able to go in and there would no longer be a need for the sacrifice of sins. We see that all the way in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 7, where Jesus actually physically accomplishes that work, not by offering a sacrifice of a lamb or a turtle dove or of thousands of bulls and goats, but literally by offering himself. He is not only the anticipation from the Old Testament, but he becomes the personal fulfillment when he dies on an instrument of Roman torture in a brutal capital death at the hands of Roman soldiers, at the behest of the Jewish leadership to destroy this man who says, I am king of the Jews. And he says, more than, more than that, I'm not just your king. I am your priest, and I am laying my life down so that you will see. And he's not just telling Israel this. He's telling the nations. He's telling every listener. He's tever, telling uh, every man and woman who's ever walked the face of the earth, if you look to my death, it will become a model of what life will be from me. I am your priest. Dr. Mark Overstreet is with me. And Mark, you have just clarified for us and deepened for us, uh, for we believers, our understanding of Christ's work. Uh, But there are some people listening who uh, are not believers, who have never received Christ as Savior. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you why people should follow Christ, what he offers for them. But let's take one more call from Brian in North Richland Hills. Hi, Brian. Hello, thank you for taking my call. I really appreciate your program. Thank you. Uh, I I have a question, and, and, and I don't want to be in any way offensive by this question, but I've pondered it uh, quite a lot. Uh, and the question is, how did Jesus pre-exist when Mary didn't? Well, uh, Penny, you want to take that? No, you take it. Uh, Brian, I think that's a great question. Um, I I think uh, one of the most important things to remember when we're thinking about who God is, um, we do have to be very careful um, in the way that we articulate this, because when when we say Jesus, um, Brian, when I say Jesus, uh, there are times that I speak 
humanly about Jesus from Nazareth, as the scriptures identify him, and that is the human, uh, that is the man, and I, I would uh, reference uh, the immediate previous p- piece that I submitted to the Texan um, on Jesus the person, and I talk about how um, when he is conceived in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit, when when God visits Mary and says, uh, I am giving you a child, and uh, you will call his name Jesus, when he, when he promises this through Mary, Jesus uh, in humanity, uh, when he has DNA, when he has cells and skin and feet and hands, uh, he, uh, in that term, did not exist before his conception, but from the promise of Scripture, uh, we know that God in in uh, in the second person of the Godhead. Now, uh, when we use theological terms, those are based entirely upon the revelation of Scripture. Mm-hmm. You know, Mark, I have to jump in because I've got to let people get really your answer to the question why they should follow Christ. But I guess the short answer there is Jesus is God, and he was he preexistent. He declared himself as, as God. God. The Old Testament and the New Testament identify uh, specifically the New Testament apostles uh, capture uh, his uh, deity and then declare him uh, John one one that that the logos existed before the world was and then Jesus himself says that in John seventeen. Thanks for your question, Brian. Okay, thank you so much, Brian. Uh, let's just go on to why people should follow Christ. And Mark, I'm just going to let you share the gospel with folks who don't know him. Uh, well, you know, Penna, I think every uh, every time that we pause uh, as Christians um, and think about what the gospel is, um, it is healthy for us to remind ourselves that that Jesus, this man who lived and walked in history, uh, he is as as much a man as the president of the United States. He is as much a man as Caesar. You've got uh, ten seconds. But as man. Uh, He lived a perfect life and died so that he could remove sin from every human life, every life that will look to him and believe that he died for them, that he was buried on their behalf, and that the power of his resurrection will give them life. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.